grumpy guts of this podcast, my friend. You know, I, I think that's the role that we need for me to be in because you're way too nice of a guy to be a grumpy Gus. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to bumping because it's three to play the time. Baby, Rip City is jumping now. Hey, Brandel up the middle. Hey. Oh, Come on, everybody. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 17th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from rainy Rip City, and I got my man Sage just chilling in Southern Oregon. So happy to be talking with you. It, it's the best part of my week every week is talking with you on this podcast about basketball. I became such a huge Blazer fan. Like I, I look forward to this every week, and thank you for listening, everybody. You know, it's not a Monday night without a Holy Backboard recording, and the Blazers, they were on the verge of giving us a bunch of nothing to talk about, to be quite honest. You know, if we want to quickly go down how the week that was in Rip City, Portland loses 109-98 at the hands of the Los Angeles Clippers. They follow that up with a a 20-point loss, 128-108, to the defending champion Golden State Warriors. And for about 45 minutes of that game last night, it looked like they were going to go 0-3. However, Lillard time happened, and Portland pulled out a 115-110, just amazing victory over the Oklahoma City Fender, who arguably is the third best team in the Mm -hmm. entire NBA. Uh, Let's talk about that game, Sage, because that was vintage Damian Lillard, probably his best performance since... Game six of the 2014 NBA playoffs. Man, I felt dread for most of the game. I was like, okay, this is gonna, we're fighting. We're gonna make it look like a close loss. And then when Damian looked like with three minutes left, I was like, wow, he's really trying hard. Oh my God, he made that. He made that one. Like we were, we were dumping on Myers Leonard a lot through text and social media that day. So I, I felt really negative about that entire game. But when he started hitting those threes that I, I can't really explain the feeling because it was just, it was confusion. It was, how is, how are these shots going in so frequently? He's, he's such an assassin from the three point line with the ball in his hands. He's an assassin. It's like how fans of Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, the list goes on and on. When you have a player of that caliber, they just have the capabilities to say, hop on, get on my shoulders, this one's on me, and I'm going to take you to the promised land. And Dame, he's not at that level, but he has the ability to be at that level, and he showed that um, last night. It was, it's hard to explain how it was watching it, because you see him take these shots, and you're just like, you know they're going in. And after he, I think he, because he hit five of the six, Crab had the, the one, um, the last six field goals that Portland made. I think it was after the second one, you just saw in his face, like, he was ready to, to get this win. He hit that uh, fourth one. You know, he's pointing to the, to his wrist, um, going into timeout, and you know, okay, it's lower time. It's one of those things where you know it's coming. The defense knows. There's just no stopping it. And as a Blazer fan, it, as Damian Lillard is my favorite player, that was just a beautiful sight, a sight to behold. And I thought C.J. McCollum summed it up perfectly in his post-game comments. He's like, I don't think you guys realize how difficult it is to come in after missing seven games midseason, to get back into basketball shape. You know, even playing City League basketball 
you could go run for as however long as you want. But going up and down the court, moving side to side, doing non normal motions for 40, mm-hmm. 45 minutes, it's very difficult. And for him to get his legs back that quickly and his shot, that just that just goes to show you what type of player and what type of dedication and work ethic that Dame has. But I don't think I've seen a second half performance like that in a long time. You know, he only goes three three points in the first half. Good thing he wasn't forcing it. He was one of five. He was dishing it to his teammates. And Portland actually had a 10-point lead um, early on in that game. However, 28 points in the, in the third and fourth quarters and 17 over the last 316. That, those numbers, that's just filthy right there by Lillard. I wanted to have some really analytical way of talking about his performance in the in the fourth quarter, but it, it, it's really difficult to say anything other than "Wow, there's not many performances like that." And you're completely right. And did you notice OKC for stretches of that actually put Kevin Durant on Dame Lillard, trying to get that length on him, man? It, if that's not a sign of respect, mm-hmm. I don't know what is. That performance made this week optimistic. It made everything optimistic, and. You're completely right, but what's going to get lost in that performance, and it was an amazing performance, but it takes a team to win a game. Mm-hmm. You've got Mo Harkless coming in, setting the tone early in that fourth quarter with those back-to-back dunks. He was a really big catalyst along with Ed Davis, who I thought set the tone early on. on AFA the last. as well. Exactly. You know, AFA played great. He had 16 points. He kept Portland afloat early on as well. But Portland won this game with their bench. Mm-hmm. 35-16 advantage, and they won it because they wanted it more. They had a 52-42 advantage on the glass, 20-8 to on the offensive boards. You know, that speaks to the Blazers, how they really manned up after that game in December in Oklahoma City when it was Cantor and Ibaka and Adams who just had their way with the Blazer bigs. You know, Mason Plumley was quoted on the broadcast last night by, I believe, Mike Barrett that said, you know, we're going to remember this next time. This is not going to happen again. And he lived up to it. Plumley had a great game. He had 11, 11, and 4. Davis goes 10, 9, and 3. They shoot 50% combined. That's exactly what you want out of your center of duos. I thought it was a great team win, and I love seeing Alan Crabb hit that 3 as well. Mm-hmm. That's a, that was a big-time 3. He goes 3 of 6 from beyond the arc. That's Everybody played well. It might have bumped Portland out of a draft lottery position for the time being, but you take that win over that potential slot in the lottery because that's going to do more long-term for this franchise. And as long as we have our pick, I'm happy because we can make moves with it. That's all I care about is the pick, because these lot the the the, the picks aren't gonna stay as is. You can make moves, you can trade. So as long as we have the pick, we can do something with it. It's all about getting those assets that we need. And one thing that really shocked me, I looked at the stat sheet after the game. Portland had 100 field goal attempts. I don't remember a time in a non-overtime game that the Blazers have hit triple digits. They actually outshot OKC by 24. Mm-hmm. That just shows you they they flat out were scrapping. They wanted yeah. it more than, than the Thunder. And what do you make of Kevin Durant not scoring in the fourth quarter at all? I honestly I didn't even well I didn't even notice him, which is a problem in itself for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm actually shocked that he didn't score a single point. I mean, that, nope. that, that, that's just a good thing for the Blazers. And I felt like they played pretty good defense on Russell Westbrook. He did get mm-hmm. loose, especially dishing out. He did a fantastic job finding Adams on those lobs. And, you know, what he does is, he, like you said, he rim runs. He goes right mm-hmm. to the rim. The defenses collapse. 
and he has his trailer, which he dishes it to, which is so difficult to defend. But I think Oklahoma City's problem is Serge Ibaka is now a perimeter-oriented player when he has no business being out there. Their two guards might be the worst set of two guards in the entire league. Uh, you could literally play a four on five, and you beg Dion Waiters and uh, Andre Robertson to shoot Robertson. Robertson. He is not good enough yet for me to pronounce his name correctly. But even more, I think, noteworthy was how salty the Thunder were after that after that loss. You, th- they gave it away. I mean, they had the game. They, we took it from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made great shots down the stretch. Russell Westbrook really failed to give Damian any credit. You know, they hit tough shots. Well, if Steph Curry shooting that, it's not a tough shot. That's his shot. Well, you know, to be fair, that's Dame's shot. He shoots that a lot. It's a comfortable shot for him. You know, Durant wasn't as salty, but he still didn't. They don't want to give us credit for the win. That's fine. You know, we've never really liked them. They've never really liked us. In today's buddy-buddy NBA, I would think it's safe to say Portland dislikes the Thunder more than any team uh, <laughs> in in the biz. So, you know, that's fine. That only fuels the fire, but... I really went into this matchup thinking it was a terrible matchup for Portland. I don't think so anymore. They, I don't know what it is about Oklahoma City. They have all the talent in the world. Is it coaching? Is it chemistry in the locker room? I don't know. But after watching the Warriors and the Thunder, it's not even close. Golden State is mm-hmm. leaps and bounds ahead of... They play as a team. Oklahoma City just can't seem to, to get it. Well, I think... Well, I talked about the coaching in our previews that I didn't like Donovan as a coach. And I think Monty as that lead assistant, his schemes don't really match the players that they have. If I had Russell Westbrook, I'd be wanting to run. But Monty's whole thing is 1990s basketball. We have to play like that on defense and offense. So I think the coaching might be an issue, which is good for us since I don't want to see Durant in that our division anymore. Oh, exactly. But, you know, with with the Wizards playing pretty subpar, that was... The, no, they're like three games away from the Pelicans bad. Yeah, so that was considered to be the, the main destination he would leave OKC for. Now, you don't really know, could Durant go somewhere else? Who knows? It's a long ways away. But back to Lillard, he had himself a week. Even though the Blazers lost by 20, he became the first player in Rose Garden history to put up 40 points and 10 assists in a single game. Think of all of the players that came through there. You know, you've got LeBron, Jordan, Curry, Kobe. The list goes on and on. The, the Rose Guard's been open since 95, 96. So a lot of fantastic ball players have played on that court. And for it to be Dame, I think it's only fitting because after the game, even in defeat, he said, I want to be a trailblazer for life. I am not running from this challenge. Um, music to my ears. I know it's music to everybody else in Rick mm-hmm. ears. And... Despite the loss, I thought Portland played well. It was really that first quarter where they dug themselves that 38-21 to 21 hole. Golden State just came out on fire, and Portland was trying to play catch-up against one of the most dominant teams in NBA history. But I thought they did well throughout the other three quarters. They made Golden State play longer than they probably wanted mm-hmm. to, their starters. And if McCollum probably shoots a little bit better, he only goes 7 of 23 it might be more of a game, but it's really difficult when Clay Thompson gets off to a start like that. It's also a little bit heartbreaking when you look back at it because Curry, he had, if you can have a quiet 26, he had a quiet 26, and he shot under 50%. He was 8 of 18, 4 of 11 from 3. You would live with those numbers. Oh, totally. Curry. Absolutely. And that goes to show you just how dominant and how amazing 
of a shooter he is. And, you know, Draymond gets another triple-double, 11 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, but it was Thompson, just that 19-point first quarter, finished with 36. He shoots 13 of 22. I mean, he was lights out. And I feel like he's a great shooter, but he's almost becoming like Byron Scott type of a pain in the pain in the butt for the Blazers. All of the fans who remember those 1991 playoffs when it was Scott who always shot fantastically in the Memorial Coliseum. Thompson's had a few great games in this gym, and I don't think it's a coincidence. It's just one of those gyms. We've talk, we'll talk about mm-hmm. Trey Burke. We'll talk about people like to play certain teams. Certain players like to certain shoot in certain gyms, and he is one of them. So that's just just not the best matchup in the world for the Trailblazers. And then lastly, the really the the big point the big point of the Clipper game was the clerical error. Have you ever seen anything like that before, Sage? And a lot of people were mad that. Doc Rivers didn't allow him to be in the game. I thought that was such a, uh, it was a basic strategy. Don't let the second best player play. But at the same time, isn't that really petty though? I, would If you were a coach, what would you do? I think it shows a weakness. It shows you cannot beat a lottery team on the road. To I be thought it was the best, smart. You have to beat teams at their best. Uh, I could safely say that I would want to to play against the best because it, it, it takes away from the win. <laughs> I think it also goes back to gamesmanship though. When Terry yeah. Stotts was fouling DeAndre Jordan 40 times, maybe Docker was like, that's payback. And if that's the case, then I don't blame Doc as much. Although I think it's just Doc being petty. Doc is a very petty and salty coach and so are the Clippers. They whine every call. Not many fans like them. And I really felt bad for the fans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing for Popovich to just rest the team because they need their rest. Well, nobody expected that from CJ. You pay your money, you want to see Dame, you want to see CJ, you want to see your trailblazers. They were all healthy, and they kind of get, you know, jobbed out of seeing, like you said, our second best player. I think Adam Silver should have stepped in and just said, hey, it was a really a piece of G-damn paper. Let the kid play. I don't think you leave it up to Clippers coach. I don't think there's any blame on Terry Stotts. He probably sees that thing 100,000 times over the course of his career. It happens. Uh, mm-hmm. it's no, no, Nothing to get your pitchforks over. It was just a bit of a bummer. And again... Yeah, that's not a fireable offense. Oh, not even close. Not even anything. It, but it, again... If we wanted to talk about fireable offenses, we can talk about it. But that was not one of them. You know, but again, it was another slow start for the Trailblazers out of the gate. Down 31-18 to 18 after the first quarter. They made a comeback... They got it within nine, I believe, but it just, you know, too little too late, especially without McCollum. You don't have enough ammunition to take take on the Clippers. But I got to give both me and you a lot of credit for this game because <laughs> you know I, I, called, that. I called Paul Pierce as the X Factor. The truth at 17 points, shot five of six from three in 24 minutes. You had CP3. He had 21 and 19. So we really hit that. Um, so, you know, you know, props. I mean... But let's be real. We we like to give ourselves props for the things we get right, but we also get a lot of stuff wrong. We didn't see that Oklahoma City game. No, but I feel like we... I don't think we give props too much. That's one oh. of the first times I feel like we get the... I feel I like we say... Oh, I say we miss games a lot, so I was going to leave it <laughs> at that. Or, I guess it's just me talking to myself after the show. Well, that wrapped up the week... I said 0-3, you said 0-3. Portland surprises us, goes 1-2. and 
But can you believe this next game on Wednesday against the Jazz will be the 41st game marking the halfway part of the season? I, I Honestly, I'm sad that you even mentioned that the season's halfway over. You're sad for what? Why are you sad? I love watching basketball. I love watching Blazers basketball. Why? I don't want it to end. But the good basketball is picking up. You get that playoff push, that all-star break's coming up, and then you got postseason hoops. Like that. This is we're, – we're just getting into the stretch run. We got another another month or so to go, but then it really kicks in. You see teams stop dilly dallying around. They really show up for every game, and I'm talking about the entire NBA, not the Blazers as a whole. And I think you really are going to see some fantastic matchups. I can't wait for the stretch run, so that's why I love it. And you know, we're seeing great performances out of Damian Lillard. I want to see how he continues it. But now that it's the halfway point, it's only fair that we do some. Midseason awards. So let mm-hmm. let's run them run them down. MVP. I don't think we need to discuss too much. We both got um, Steph, right? No. Yep. All right. Uh, most improved player. I'm sticking with my preseason pick of CJ McCollum. I was yeah, 21, 21 points per game this year. He's doing it with and without Lillard. Uh, you got to give it to uh, CJ. Who do you have for defensive player of the year? I think it's Draymond. Draymond. I'm gonna go Kawhi. I mean, that's why we need an elite. Defensive player. Look at every single defensive team that's good. They have a Kawhi Leonard. They have a Draymond Green. We need to get our Draymond Green. We need to get our Jay Crowder, for instance. (laughs) Who do you have for sixth man of the year? Uh, We discussed it. I had my booth, Ryan Anderson. I'm I'm sticking with Will Barton. I think they're going to be one and two. Coach of the year. Luke Walton. Yeah, it's got to be Luke Walton. And I think it's complete and utter crap that he's not getting credit for these wins. Yeah. I, he's going to get paid next year. Yeah, he's got to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's your stock's not going to get any hot, hotter or higher, especially if they win the chip. He's going to get uh, their NBA vacancies open up on the regular. Uh, we saw one with Brooklyn. There will be plenty more this summer. He's definitely going to get paid if if not with another franchise golden state's gonna have to pay up to keep him is he the associate head coach uh he must be some yeah Yeah. and then i think the last one which we discussed quickly last week was rookie of the year and i thought it would be towns but they're really struggling and now porzingis is coming on strong so i'm gonna kind of do a cop out and say i'll give it a co-rookie of the year to porzingis and towns I really think it's up for grabs at this point. Uh, the Knicks are actually winning a little bit. The Wolves are just playing like hot garbage. They're yeah, they're doing awful. So I think it's I think it's literally fifty fifty. It's going to come to it's going to be one of the best rookie of the year races that we've seen in recent history. Remember when Steve Francis and Elton did the co rookie of the year? Elton Brand. Yeah, and Steve Franchise. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's going to be it. So you got those two as well? Yeah. I, what I don't like about Porzingis is. For the last few games, Lance Thomas has started over him in the in the in the clutch minutes. So I want to see what Porzingis and Kate uh, Cat does in those clutch minutes because you're not going to have Gorgie Dang start over Cat, and you're not going to have Lance Thomas go over Porzingis. I want we need to see what they can do in the clutch. All right, moving on from our midseason awards you my friend were blowing up my twitter timeline last night so i know you have a thousand mail time questions ready to go <laughs> so let's get it first can we compliment our two biggest fans for real yeah, go ahead 
Long Story Longer and Kim Thrasher are fantastic people. They are my favorite Twitter people that I follow on Twitter and I conversate with. Um, first one was from Long Story Longer. She wants to talk, wants us to talk about Terry as a defensive coach, which is something I don't think those two words should actually coexist because he's not. I'm coaching fifth graders, and I am running the exact same defense as Terry Scott, Terry is. It, it, if this was the 1990s, this would be a fantastic defense. But the game done change is 2015. No, 2016. We have to we have to construct our defense like they're a 2016 team. Like if the Blazers played against this defense. We would score 140 points every game. He has to be able to stop our offense with his defense, and he has been unable to do so. So I'm getting very frustrated with the defensive, the scheme, the effort on pick and rolls, which I've been seeing more and more people being upset with. I'm sick of this basic scheme. This is 2016. There's so much creativity in the league, so you have to be creative on how to stop the NBA offenses. You know, I'm right there with you. However, we do have to give a little bit of credit uh, to Terry Stotts because they did actually start hedging on the pick and rolls in that second half against the Thunder. And I've noticed more and more they are uh, more willing to send the double team. They did it to DeMarcus Cousins. Mm -hmm. They've done it to players who they know aren't going to pass the ball. They did it to Cantor a bit to disrupt the the offensive flow of the Thunder, because Cantor is not going to pass the ball. Well, like, we didn't do it to Al Jefferson earlier in the year, which is the again, same. Again, that was all the way, that was all the way yeah. back in November. But, I mean, the, the, the issues that we had, like, you're giving him props for do, being more flexible. You've got to be flexible with this defense. You have to... I don't think we should change the defense, which was a question that Long Story asked, because... The players already know what to do on this defense. We don't want to, we don't want to change everything from them. So in the offseason, I would love a defensive associate head coach to come in. You know what, Sage? I'm trying to be positive and you're killing my vibe here. I, I am because I'm frustrated. I love this team. I'm frustrated. I don't, I'm running the same exact defense with fifth graders, man. I said they're starting to show signs. You're picking a game from November. It's January 11th right now. They're starting to show signs. Let's see how these next few games play out and see if we're seeing the same things. But for now, I'm encouraged by some of the things he's doing. Overall, it, of course it needs improvement. But at least there are some sort of changes. Uh, next question. How do you feel about Myers Leonard? My thoughts and feelings about Myers Leonard... Kind of like a roller coaster. Obviously, I bit hard on on that performance in, in the postseason. You know, if you listen to the first episode, I said he's probably one of the other players who I thought had all star potential. Most quotable thing we've ever said, honestly. And you know, at the time, after seeing that performance, what he did, I thought it was true. You know, he is a center. He is not a power forward. I think he's being misused a little bit in that sense. Early in the season, in the preseason, we were setting flare screens off the ball screens. We were working him to get open shots. Now he just stands at the top of the key and we throw him the ball. If he's really open, he shoots. If he's covered, sometimes he'll shoot, sometimes he'll pass. And other times, he'll just pass it right back. So there's really not much for him to do in this offense. It feels a lot like when 
Nick Batum was a rookie and Nate McMillan was the coach and you stuck him in the corner and said, you shoot the ball and you play defense. Mm. What I don't like for Myers and what is what he does need to improve on, his rebounding and his defense, that's why I don't like him as a power forward because he gets blown by by too many of the stretch fours or the, just the regular power forwards. He, he's a better matchup for a guy like a Mark Gasol. So, you know, Myers is a stronger dude than people give him credit for. He's not very quick, but he is strong. I just want to see him play a little more physical when it comes on the defensive side of the ball and grabbing those rebounds because he's, he's over seven foot tall. He's athletic as hell. He could get those. I still think there's potential for Myers. However, I don't like his restricted free agency status. That scares the crap out of me, especially we, we're Blazer fans. We've seen all of the toxic offers we've made to restricted free agents. You just know some GM's going to do mm-hmm. it to us. And, and you one, you don't want to match a large contract because your hands are tied to it. And two, you don't want to let him go away for nothing like what happened with Lamarcus Aldridge. Even though he wasn't a restricted free agent, we thought he would come back. So I think you're left with really only one option, but... And Myers has to play well for that to come to fruition. I think you do have to move him, get some sort of value. You're talking about a pick. You got to get a pick for Myers, even maybe take back a bad bad salary because if the Blazers make the playoffs or if they're fighting for the playoffs, that's going to be a low pick. You want to add another pick. We've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on the podcast. Olshay hits. He gets hits with his draft picks. You want to give him as much opportunities to do so as possible. I know Myers was one of his draft picks, but I, I just don't know. He keeps he keeps showing signs of improvement, and then he goes back to his normal tendencies. It, it's it, it's maddening to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. I want this. This is the first time he'll be able to re-sign players that he drafted, right? I want to see what his thought process is for Myers Leonard and uh, and other players that he drafted because. I'm going through this as a Pelicans fan. Dell Demps is way too loyal to the players that he either signed, like Eric Gordon, Omar Oshik, I fear Ryan Anderson. I want to see where Neil can put his heart. If he's going to just... These guys are similar to Myers. We might as well just give Myers a second contract because he's used to the team or something like that. That's kind of what frightens me. I am so tired of his slow reaction time, and I worry that he doesn't have good basketball IQ, because there's been plays where he just, Russell Westbrook got a layup, and dude just had to foul him after he made that layup. I don't remember if you know the, remember the play, but he just fouled him because... I don't know why, but I th- it put us in worse foul trouble. We were in the bonus really early in in the third and fourth quarter. I'm sick of his IQ. I hope to God we trade him at the deadline because I'm getting tired and sick of these dumb basketball plays. See, I think he has a really high basketball IQ. What I don't think he has is any confidence right now. Mm -hmm. Well, me telling him all that probably doesn't help, right? Yeah, you got to be a little bit nicer on our guys, Sage. We can't go on. I care. I care. I know, I know. But Myers, he is a talented player. He, his confidence just, it's low right now. And you, you can tell that he's finally getting his shot back a little bit. But I don't know if he'll ever become 
the player we all want him to become, and that's take the open shot and become a little more aggressive in the in, in the on the defensive end, especially rebounding. I I don't know if that's ever going to come. If the answer to that question is no, you have to move him. If you really still think that can be fixed or progression can be made, then you you know you take the steps and you sign him. But I gotta believe that Terry Stotts and maybe some of the players are getting really frustrated with him passing up open shots because that's really what he's on the floor to do is spread the defense. And he's a great three point shooter. He needs to understand that and take a shot, even if it's one bad shot. I think he takes. I think he's almost too selective to a fault. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't want him turning out to be Jamal Crawford or Deion Waiters and just chucking up everything he sees. But he really needs to quit being so unselfish because he's a deadly asset on this team. He's a fantastic shooter. And the only reason I'm even remotely discussing trading him is because of his restricted free agency <laughs> status. If he had another year in his contract, I'd be like, let's keep giving him a minute. Exactly. Let's see what he's got. But this is coming out of a fear of another team saying, hey, I've seen his potential. I've seen what he can do. We can change him. We can change him. A change of scenery can do him good, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's what I fear, and that's the only reason I would consider moving Myers Leonard. If you were like his best friend, which I don't know if you are or not, but if he would listen to you, whose tape would you show him? Is there a player that you're like, your play style is like this? watch this dude play basketball and try and copy his style. Is there any? Oof. That's, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, my question. That's not a, that, that's straight from the heart with it. Cause I'm, that's a tough question because bigs didn't really start, you know, popping threes until, you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dirk was always doing it, but he was really the, the trendsetter. You know, you got Sabonis mm-hmm. before then. But it it really didn't become commonplace until a few years ago. So that's that's a very difficult question. So then you got to look at you know bigs who were perimeter oriented, and you know I'm trying to run through my rolodex of NBA history right now on the fly, and it's that was a good that that, that was a good question by me. I, that was a hell of an ambush. <laughs> yeah, I mean I guess currently I would say Channing Fry when he played with the Suns during that mm-hmm. conference championship run where he was just lights out. He didn't even think about passing the ball. He didn't hesitate um, at Channing Fry to a tee because Channing wasn't the most physical either, but he was just deadly. He didn't try to put the ball on the floor. He found his spots, and when he was open, knocked down. So that, that's who I would choose. I was trying to see if somebody was maybe 20, 25 years ago, but again, there's just the bigs didn't didn't yeah, that far. But it's a different game, man. It's a totally different game. I would go Ryan Anderson because there's things that he does that I think Myers could do better. Like, Ryan Anderson crashes the boards on offense really hard. So I I think if Myers was rim running to the basket to get offensive putbacks, he could, that would be another layer of his game that he could do to help get rebounds and potential points. So I would say Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson has a post game. I would love to see Myers develop like a, a a Robin Lopez go-to move or something like that because he again it's just three-point shooting. It's he needs to add more to whatever team he's on next. He has to add more dimensions because you can't be just one thing, especially at seven feet, especially at how athletic he is. 
Well, I've seen him. He has a knockdown mid-range shot. Again, the Blazers' offense is doing him no favors right now either, so we don't need to call the Myers oh, yeah, at yeah. all. All right. What's so, the next question? What players would you? Uh, what players would you be willing to trade in the deadline? Would you be all right with? Because honestly, if they offered us the right thing, I'd be willing to trade anybody but Damian. If the right offer came through, I'd be willing. Uh, you got to be flexible. Yeah, it all depends on the right offer. Yeah. We could go in. We could talk for hours on the right offer. I guess the players I, I think make the most sense are obviously we've harped on this podcast after podcast. Came in and and Henderson, both on expiring deals, both probably will not be with the team next year. You've got to see if you can get anything for them. Uh, Myers, because he's young, he's got the most realistic trade value that we have. Mm-hmm. Again, he means more to us than he does to you, so you're not going to move him. He knows his role. He plays fantastic in those 24 minutes a night. I mean, you could go down the list. Of course, if the right deal comes along, but I think those three are probably make the most sense, in my opinion. What type of trades would you like to make? I think, honestly, the most interesting conversation would be Myers. What do you think you could get from Myers? There's a lot of talk about the missing piece. What is our missing pieces? I think Myers' potential, his trade value, it's a perfect opportunity for us to try and get a missing piece. I mean, I think there's pieces, and that's the problem. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's exactly. not just, just one. We're quite a ways away. We're five years. We have to be able to compete in five years because that's when Damien's a free agent. I, so we have to make steps in order to build that contender. So what's I the think first we, step you take? Well, first of all, I think we got to be more – five years is too long of a window. Dame will be like 30. You want to start ramping up in three to four. And I'm not talking yeah. about championship. I'm like, okay, we're at least – Atlanta Hawks in the 2000s good. Yeah, probably better. You want to be at least uh, – a perennial second round team with maybe mm-hmm. a couple chances of getting to the finals. I think that's 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 what you look for. You know, you're you're not going to be the Warriors. You're not even going to be the Cavs or the Spurs. But if you could be like the Rockets, how mm-hmm. they always go to the playoffs, they had the the right breaks. They won the sh- they got to the conference finals. If you can contend like that, that's where Portland needs to be in three years. Dame mm-hmm. will be twenty eight. I think we have enough players who were castaways. From mm-hmm. their old teams with a ton of potential, and you look at guys like Cliff Alexander, Maurice Harkless, um, Al Farouk Aminu, all lottery picks. Now we're trying to get get them their shine. So we've got enough of those guys. I think you really have got to get a pick. Picks, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have. We might not have a pick this year or next year. It all depends on on the lottery. Chances are, if we don't give them for the pick this year, they're going to get it next year. I feel. Like the Blazers are going to be good enough next year to make the playoffs, so you're already down one pick. Yes, we have the second youngest roster in the entire NBA, but you've got to acquire more assets. And if you mm-hmm. think a draft pick, especially on a rookie deal, is going to become a better player than Myers Leonard, you make that move. Mm-hmm. And especially with Myers eating up a lot of the cap space. So long story short, from this question by long story longer, I say get a pick and just try to continue to make really savvy free agent signings like we mm-hmm. did when we got, and I w- wouldn't call it a free agent signing, but we used our cap space to get Robin Lopez. We signed Mo And Williams. Jeff Withy. Yep. So we used Mo, got Mo Williams on the cheap. We've got to build a team very similar to the Pistons of 2004. Not a ton of star power, 
but they played great as a team. Or even the Pacers of a couple years ago, before Roy Hibbert fell off the earth and Paul George got hurt, that team, people were saying, they're going to be championship contenders. Well, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they built their team through the draft, Hibbert and George, and they just continued to build, build, and build, and they just acquired positive assets. Portland just has to continue going forward. It's not like if we make the eighth seed this year or next year, we're stuck in purgatory all of a sudden. As long as we continue to make improvements, Dame's going to get better. He has not plateaued yet. Same with CJ. So to wrap it up, I just think we need to keep adding positive pieces. Mm-hmm. Guys like Ed Davis, Aminu were good starts. Keep finding guys like those. I th- We need to think of a way. Tanking has such an awful connotation. Like, the Phoenix Suns are tanking. I don't think the Blazers are tanking. So there, we need to think of a word that will describe what we're doing right now. And I would be perfectly fine if we traded all those assets that we have, the, the three that we said, for someone that might not help us this year, but will help us in the future. Because there's a lot of... I mean, we can talk about the perimeter, uh, the perimeter defender, the inside scorer... I really want to get one of those two things locked down in the trade deadline. It doesn't have to be Jay Crowder. I would love it because that's the person I've been saying. But we need to... I'd be perfectly fine with trading all three guys for that perfect missing piece as a perimeter defender or an inside score. Um, would you be cool if we could try, if we took on a bad contract and got a guy that happened... Like MKG. Would you be cool if we got MKG for the future? What's his contract like? Did he just sign an extension, or do we he have did. to? He did. Let's look at his he contract. Fit, he fits that perimeter defender th- thing that I've been harping on for the last few podcasts. Yeah, like but his shot just, is so broken. It's so broke. That's why I think Jay Crowder might be a better option, because he actually hit it. But I am tired of the us not helping the helper on defense. I'm tired of us giving up so many easy penetrations to guards. I, I want us to get that, that defensive stopper. They can hit threes at a respectable rate. That is That has to happen. We have to have a guy who hits threes at a respectable rate. But MKG is interesting because he finishes and transition at such a high level. But I, I want a guy who can hit, uh, be oh, respected. Man. His contract runs through 2020, and he's getting, after starting next season, he's getting $13 million clip. Mm. I mean, that's not as bad as you think in this generation of the of the salary cap, but it's a lot. I'm thinking more years. I don't mind $13 million. Agreed. I don't think it's that bad in terms of the next year's salary cap. I think $13 million is going to be the new $7 million. Mm-hmm. But the years is what worries me. And in today's NBA, you have to be able to shoot the basketball. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But so, he would be an interesting guy to talk about, you know. What about a guy like Avery Bradley I would love or him. Jay Crowder? What would we have to give up for one of those two guys? Because Boston is a team that's trying to win, but I think they also have a lot of assets. Danny Ainge has mm-hmm. never been shy from wheeling and dealing. Do you think a guy like you know Avery Bradley or Jay Crowder would be available? I think if you gave him the right offer, yeah. And, and, and long story wants to know how we value our players. So this is a perfect segue into that. Honestly, I would be willing to trade all three guys personally. I just want that piece. I want that perimeter defender. 
So if Avery Bradley or Jay Crowder was there, I would take it. There's other guys that I think are lesser of those currently that I would be willing to trade for, but for those two options that you laid out, I'd be willing to trade everything for. I'd be happy with just Myers, but I'd be willing to trade all three of those guys for one of those defensive stoppers. Because that's how sick I am of watching this defense. And I think what's more likely is Olshay tries to go into the bargain bin and calls up Houston and says, hey, you're not using KJ McDaniels. I like KJ. Exactly. I think that's more realistic. I think that's more attainable. Guys like we're talking Crowder and Bradley, I think Danny Ainge rightfully so values them pretty highly. So usually when the trade happens, you have to take a risk on a player and Mm -hmm. try to get the better of the deal because if it looks like you're getting the better end of the deal on paper, the trade's probably just a bad rumor. Mm -hmm. Or you're, you're... going up against Billy King, and unfortunately Billy King just resigned. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking to get that job, uh, Brooklyn Nets. I'll stop calling you New Jersey if if I get it. All right, Sage, so did we have any other fan questions? I think we addressed it, but again, hit us up on Twitter if you have, if we didn't address it properly here. Let us know on Twitter. It's 140 characters, but we can get our point across. I really love the fans that are hitting us up. Uh, shout out to Kim and Long Story. So moving on, I keep saying this. This is the chance of the Blazers to make their playoff push. And every time I do it, they fall flat on their face. But really, this is the time for the Blazers to make their playoff push. Have you seen the schedule? And oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about these teams. I mean, we're only going to discuss... Four games, Utah, Brooklyn, Philly, and Washington on this podcast. But if you look... Yeah, we ain't waking up that early to talk about that Washington game. (laughs) I mean, that's for the MLK day. Eight eight of the next 11 games are at home. And I believe of all the opponents Portland is playing in that 11-game stretch, only one, the Atlanta Hawks, on the 20th at the is a buzzer. This is really playoff time. If mm-hmm. they are serious, and I know Jason Quick mentioned on Talking Ball last night that Dame's always saying, hey, one and a half games out, two games, two and a half games out. Like, they're looking. They want the playoffs. Regardless of whether you want it or not, the team wants the playoffs. And, you know, Dame would love to be able to say, I lost four fifths of my starting lineup. And yet, I still took this team to the playoffs. That would be a great achievement for him to be able to say as the lead, the bona fide leader of this team. So they're definitely shooting for that. Mm-hmm. This, it's the last, the last shot. They really need to pick up ground on the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are, the Blazers are only two and a half back, you know, games back. But if you look in the wins, or excuse me, you look at the losses, Portland's four losses. They need this game against the Jazz. If we are going to make a playoff push, we have to take care of business against the Utah Jazz at home on Wednesday. It's a 7 o'clock tip. Teams have already met twice this year in Salt Lake City. We all know how those two games went. Portland won 108-92 back on November uh, November 4th. Then on New Year's Eve, Portland just got stomped 109-96. The Jazz were without Gobert and Favors and Burke. 
Burks. I get Alec Burks and Trey Burke. Their nicknames just messed up all the time. Alec Burks. Yeah, it's it's one letter. It's one letter apart. Man. Either it's way, they were without a whole slew of players. I know we were without Lillard, but that game was very disheartening. Portland has to have revenge on their mind if they are truly serious. I know it's not going to be a game to get up against like the Clippers or Warriors or the Thunder. They're going to have to bring their own energy. The fans will be there, but it's got to be one of those games. You're not going to play the Cavs every night. We saw how they came out against mm-hmm. Cleveland and just took it to them as an underdog. I I I, th- I think that the Jazz rely on the three their three big players. One of them's definitely going to be out. I, I I have no idea what's wrong with Derek Favors, but he's been out for a, a pretty significant while. So if he's out, that's a huge advantage towards us. He. he his player efficiency rating is very high because he, he he gives you a bit of everything. He gets rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, points. He's a fantastic player for them right now. So if he's gone, that's a huge thing. I think Gordon Hayward is going to be the X factor because he gets the ball so much. You don't think so? Who the X factor is Trey Burke. It's always uh, Trey Burke against the Jazz. I'm sorry. I... Sage, he averages 17.8 points per game against Portland in his career. That is the most by far. He had 27 last game. Until we find a way to stop him or not let him shoot, he's always going to be the X factor. All right, fair enough. But I just think Gordon Hayward's such a superior player. Of course him. he's a superior we player, but we're talking X factor. We should be able to stop Trey Burke. We should stop him. But yeah, he, he gets. But going up. back, going back to Gobert, he has made an immediate impact. The Jazz are two and one in his return. They have only allowed eighty six point seven points per game over that span in the eighteen games that Rudy Gobert missed. Utah allowed Portland to account for that. They cannot try to attack him. I think this game is won and lost on the three point line. Mm-hmm. Portland has shot forty four percent from three in the two earlier matchups with the Jazz. Utah allows 36% from deep, which is eighth worst, and Portland shoots 38% from deep at home. So the recipe, the all the ingredients are there to make a great recipe, great dish. If they start heating up early, I think that's what will propel Portland because it's contagious. It's like free throws. If you miss a couple, everybody else misses them. But if you get a great defensive stop, everyone else has that desire to make another one for the team. I think if they get hot early on, they're going to win. And I think that's what's going to happen. Dame is really seeming like he's in a zone right now. He's going to be mm-hmm. the you know, the setter. He's going to be the pace setter for this, this Blazers team. I like the Blazers in this game. I think it's going to be close. I'll, I don't think it's going to follow suit to the first two games where both, both games are double-digit victories. This one's going to go down pretty close. But I just think we have the best player on the court. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for CJ to break out, too. Those two haven't really got on the same page since Dame came back against Memphis. I think it's time they both have a great game. And I, I, got think... Blazers. I got Blazers in that game. Oh, I totally agree. So it's Brooklyn next after yeah. that? So Portland starts a three-game quick road trip, pretty much a weekend, a weekend you know, mm-hmm. journey out east against the Brooklyn Nets. You know, Brooklyn, they're, they're 10 and 28, 6 and 14 at home. Just took a, you know, a big fat L tonight. 
at the hands of the San Antonio Spurs in Brooklyn, 106 to 79. You know, they've lost five straight, 13 of the last 16. We could go on and on about how porous this team has been. And for everyone talking about tanking and losing intentionally, these guys aren't doing it. They're just that bad. Boston owns their unprotected 2016 first-round draft pick. Big news out of Brooklyn was Lionel Hollins gets canned, which I thought was... I, I don't agree with. I think he's a He's too good coach. for that to happen. He is too good for that franchise, let's put it that way. And Billy King, rightfully so, stepped down. But, you know, prayers up to Billy King, though. If it wasn't for him, we would still have Gerald Wallace, and we would not have Damian Lillard. So Billy King probably is an honorary, you know, Jersey retiree at the, at the Rose Garden. Yeah, that, that was such a lopsided trade. So stupid on the New Jersey Nets part at that time. It was ridiculous. I mean, this is a team that hasn't won at home in a month. December 10th, they beat the 76ers, who is the only team worse than them in the Eastern Conference, 100-91. to Do you think they're really worse? Because I don't anymore. I think with the... With what happened to the Nets, they're by far the, the worst team. Uh, it's tough to say. They at least have veterans on that team, but Definitely. it's tough. Mm-hmm. They don't have Jarrett Jack. He tore his ACL. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson had to have uh, ankle surgery, so he's out. Bodan you know, Bogdanovich is in for him. You know, I looked at their, their starting backcourt, and they start Markel Brown and Shane Larkin. If nope, there's no, any... no, no, Donald Sloan now. Nope. Nope. That, I, look, I look think I today. just looked at the box score today. Look. It was Sloan starting. Oh, they started two different. They started Sloan and Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington, though, too. So they're mixing and matching because I just looked at the game before. Like, I did research tonight. Oh, yeah. I I watched part of that horrible game. It it was Fair enough. Either way, they start a trash backcourt. Tridash. So if there is ever a time for the Blazer backcourt, it is this game. The the Brooklyn Nets, they only average 95.7 points per game. That's second worst in the entire NBA did you know that Portland has only won one time when they've scored under 100 points? That was pretty recently, a 98-94 victory at Sacramento on the 27th. This has got to be a game where they push the tempo, they bring their own energy, the building is going to be pretty dead. Brooklyn doesn't score a lot of points. Portland <clears throat> has to get up, maybe take some chances in the passing lanes, but put points on the board if you do that. I mean, we thought tonight San Antonio put the 106. You know, this Brooklyn team is not really going to to light the world on fire. So if the Blazers can just get it going, I like the Blazers' chances. What do you think about doubling Brook Lopez? I think that he and Thad Young are basically the entire offense for the Nets. I think... Brooke Lopez, I think, has taken his game to the next level. I still don't want him on my team, but right now, for this current team, he is doing things that I would love to have, but the injury issues scare me. Thad Young is a very consistent power forward. He adds block, uh, rebounds, pretty good defense, but we we can, if we double, it has to, it can't be off Bodon's man, who's a very good three-point three shooter. He is like a an Alan Crabb type of dude who doesn't do a lot of other things except score, so we shouldn't give him the opportunity to score. Donald Sloan is like a a retread player. I'm sure he's been on half the teams in the NBA. Dame and CJ need to dominate their matchups, and I think they will. So 
Oh, your question was Brook Lopez doubling. Do yeah, would you would you as would long you as it's not on as long as it's not on Bodanovich's man, it's fine. Yeah, I would I would double Lopez all day from different angles, make life a living nightmare for him. Yep. The Brooklyn Nets make just five point four threes per game, second worst in the NBA. And to top it all off, they shoot a league worse, thirty one point five percent from three. The three is not their forte. You make them beat you from the arc. You don't let Thad Young or Brooke Lopez get it going down low. Obviously, if a guy starts hitting a couple, you, you bring the double from other places. But I would rather let guys like Donald Sloan and Markel Brown shoot than Brooke Lopez. Exactly. Who is your X factor for this game? It, it's got to be the post defense. Yeah. I know. That. It's got to be that. You can't let. The entire offense is predicated on Brooke Lopez and Thad Young getting points. So if we can stop them, it's an easy victory. I got to go bench scoring. I took a look at who they have on their bench. Um, I love you, Thomas Robinson, but he's one of their best bench players. Willie Reed, Bargnani, uh, Sergei Karasev, Larkin, who we mentioned, and Markel Brown. The Blazers need to be plus 15 <laughs> in the bench scoring. It's so sad, man. If the Blazers can get production out of their bench, they win this one. I really do think this is going to be close. It's a game on paper Portland should win, but I've got a weird feeling. However, that backcourt is just so depleted. Mm-hmm. We've got the second-best backcourt in the NBA. I think we're going to ride Lillard and McCollum. I think this might be a game where we do win scoring under 100 for only the second time, and that's I think we gutted out. It's going to be a grinded out, gutted out. Maybe like a, a 99, 97, 96 victory. It's going to come down to the wire. I got the Blazers, though. What would you do about pace? Because I would run them. I would run them, too. Okay. But again, Portland's turnover prone. So You don't want to give like them a, easy baskets on the it, other It's a I gift think. and a curse. If Portland can show they can play under, under uh, with some poise and under composure on the break, because... There's just running like a bat out of hell, and there's running the break with you know multiple options at your disposal, and you know what you're going to do at each certain time. Portland plays smart. Definitely run them, get out. But if we start seeing sloppy turnovers like we did in Utah and the game gets away from you, I could see that happening as well. Mm-hmm. Portland, take care of the ball and make Brooklyn work on defense. If they pass the ball around two to three times, they will get any shot they want. He got, like we said in numerous podcasts, bend the defense. I am totally and completely fine with us shooting a bunch of threes, but it can't be quick threes. Let's make the defense work a little. Wide open shots are much better than contested shots. So let's try and get our three-point shooters some open shots. So do you have the Blazers winning? Of course. Okay. So that makes both of us going 2-0 and so far. They have a back-to-back. In Philadelphia. Oh, one more thing against Brooklyn. They have the best in-court music. It's all I disagree. 90, 90s hip-hop, bro. All 90s hip-hop. Atlanta, Sir Foster on that organ, killing it. Okay, second best. But Thank you. I love that. I've heard, like, they play The Planet by Gangstar, which is about Brooklyn. Oh, it's, I love it. I love the music. I mean, you know how much I love hip-hop, so being able to hear 90s jams that I, I love. It's awesome. Well, anything's better than hearing the Black Eyed Peas over and over again. So, again, Blazers, yo, I'm multi-talented. Let me up. I can I can show OG1 something. So Portland has a back-to-back. 
in Philadelphia at <laughs> Pacific time. This will be the last game of a six-game homestand for the Sixers. We all know the Sixers, laughing stock of the league. They're four and thirty-six, just two and fifteen at home. This would be a monumental loss. I think <laughs> that'd be bad, hilariously bad. As much good as the Thunder win did for the Blazers, losing to the Sixers would be doubly bad. If we're <laughs> being, you know, frank about it. It's really hard to look at stats when you're looking at a 4 and 36 team because they do so many things so poorly. But I think uh, the main thing is intangibles. Mm-hmm. One, you got to ask yourself, will Portland play with energy? Well, the Sixers arena is lifeless. They you know you're playing the worst team in the league. Really the only thing that gets you up for it is the fear of not being that team, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That that gets beat by them. And two, will Portland overlook Philly? You know, that seems preposterous to say, but one one team's won four games, one's, you know, working on 20 or going close to, to 20. Remember when Atlanta took us slightly? It could definitely happen to us versus the Sixers. You mean Cleveland? Well, no, I was thinking about Atlanta when they got bored in the fourth, but Cleveland too. It, I mean, a bunch of teams oh, have taken God, us yeah. lightly. We could take the Sixers lightly. We could take the Sixers lightly. I think it, we shouldn't, but... And so I think the key to that game is forcing turnovers. Mm-hmm. Philly leads the league, no surprise. They, they cough it up 18 times. Opponents get 22 points off of turnovers versus Philly. Again, most in the league. So Portland's going to really have to push the tempo. They're going to have to run the break, play the passing lanes, play very similar to, similarly to how we thought they should play against the Cavaliers the day after Christmas. Take chances and let your athletes run. However, it plays in Portland's hands, and yet it doesn't. Philly, they give up 17 points on the break, which is the most. But the Blazers, that's not in their that's not in their DNA. Mm-hmm. They they only get 10 fast break points. You know that's third worst, and they only get 13.6 points off of turnovers. That's second worst. So again, this is a game where I look at Terry Stotts, and I want to see is he going to take chances? Is he going to try to double a Jalil Okafor, who only has 44 assists on the season? So that's what I think the Blazers have to do. I, I think they need to swarm Okafor like they did Cousins, play the passing lanes, take chances, and leave no doubt with this game. Let's rest our starters in the fourth, and let's put them away. I know you watch a lot of terrible Sixers basketball. so the DFS really, I don't know. Um, I think DFS is fantastic. It makes me watch a lot more games. Um, when you were talking those stats, was uh, they were awful. But then they traded for Ish Smith, and they became a lot less awful. The turnovers have gone down. The line, like they've changed lineups to be a lot smarter. They play my favorite Seventy Sixers, Jeremy Grant, in the starting lineup. They have Jaleel and Nerlens. the The chemistry between Ish Smith and Nerlens is fantastic. I see a lot of alley oops. The Blazers have to be ready to defend that pick and roll. Ish it does not is not a shooter. Play him tight. He he has some quicks. He's an awful defender, but he is a willing passer, and he will pass it at the perfect moment. So you got to watch out for that. Jeremy Grant, I think, will get you. Will get a team a good portion of what Draymond Green could give you. He has all. He's very similar skill set. Nerlens is an athletic freak. He's a great defender. Jaleel isn't. I don't know who they're going to play at the two guard, but whoever it is, CJ McCollum needs to just. Absolutely school them. 
I think Damian Lillard is going to get at least 35 points this game because Ish is a bad defender. Nick Stauskas isn't a good defender. It, it, it's going to be the guards, and what the the bigs have to do is make sure Nerlens and Jaleel do not go off on them. And it will be a very easy win if they follow through with those things that you said and the post-defense. De- I'm going the Blazers, and if they... And if they play with the right enthusiasm, I think it's going to be a big blowout for the Blazers. Yeah, it's going to be feast week for the Blazer guards. They start; <laughs> they've been starting Nick Stauskas and Ish Smith. Follow, you know, that's following playing Brooklyn's set of guards, and then Utah doesn't even have a great set of guards either. So Portland really can their guards can make a huge statement, <laughs> and that's really what this team is. That's the foundation. If you want to build with those two guards, they need to lead the way. I can't think of an easier three-game stretch than Utah, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia in terms of guard matchups. Portland just absolutely <laughs> has to dominate those matchups to win. I think if the Blazers just show up, they'll, they'll win the game. I think they'll win probably by like 10 or 12. I'm not going to call a blowout. I'm 0-2 on blowouts this year. We've lost. So I'm going to try to you know take that away. I do think they win by double digits. But uh, again, like Brooklyn, it's going to be sloppy early on. Again, this game's not played on paper. We're not... We're not even a good team yet. We're trying to become a good team. So we're going to struggle against teams we should beat. Mm-hmm. But Blazer backcourt too much. I got the Blazers again. Dare I say we both have 3-0 going into this. Martin Luther King Jr. Rip City. Be sure to watch Jeremy Grant. I want him to be a Blazer so bad. Check him out. There, there's no room him. for him on this roster, but you can watch him for Sage. I'm going to curse him because he's going to have a bad game because I've hyped him up so much on Twitter. But watch him. He's a good basketball player. So Portland rounds out this road trip with an 11 a.m. local time start on Monday against the Washington Wizards uh, in D.C. It's for the MLK Day. The Wizards, they're underachieving. They're 17 and 19, uh, just 8 and 11 at home. However, they did just pick up a a nice 114-100 victory in the Windy City over the Bulls tonight. But still... Without Bradley Beal, that team seems a lot more beatable than Mm -hmm. it would preseason. And Gortat's knees really gross because it's swelling. It swelled up a lot, so he was out for the game today. So there's a chance that we we get to play against Drew Gooden and Nene, who's on a minutes restriction. (sighs) Drew Gooden murders us, though, man. He's just one of those players, too, that has great games against us. He just trades bad threes, huh? He just, he just, I don't know. It's just one of those players, and I feel like it's only since he's became a wizard, especially in DC. Maybe I'm thinking of another player, but I remember at least in consecutive games or one game uh, when the Blazers were in in Washington, he had a big night and was one of the reasons why they won that game. I'm most upset that this game's at 11. I don't think I get the day off of work, so I'm kind of ticked off. You don't get the day off from M- for MLK Day? I don't think so. I really hope I do, but I don't think so. Wow. I get the day off from school, bro. You need to talk to the big bosses. I know. I hope so. Help ce- celebrate cultural diversity and all. Because it's going to be rough. You know I'll be checking the score. This one I've got a, a bad feeling about. Oh, really? We do Too not tough. seem to play well in D.C. recently. John Wall has great games against us in D.C. I know they're without Bradley Beal, and they're starting Garrett I Temple. I can't wait so. for those guard, that point guard matchup, though. 
that's going to be a great guard matchup. I think this is a game where CJ needs to really take over. Garrett Temple has no business guarding him. Oh, oh, don't be don't be mean to Garrett Temple. I'm a huge fan of his. You know I know he went to LSU. Okay. Uh, I I know <laughs> I know, but there's not many shooting guards that can stay in front of CJ. He's a good defender. Awful offensive player though. But I, I think this is the game where Portland needs to take care of the ball. We have seen them lose time and time again control of a game because of their carelessness with the basketball. Washington, they will make you pay. They score 18 points off of turnovers at seventh most, and they force a ton, ton of turnovers. They force 17 turnovers a game, which is fifth most in the NBA. Portland turns the ball over a lot. 15 a game. That is eighth worst in the league. So they need to take care of this basketball. I mean, John Wall, he's always on top of the steals categories. The same can be said this year. He get, picks up 2.1 a game. He's the fourth best in the game at doing it. That is that is the X factor for me. They have to take care of the basketball. Because on paper, again, Portland is the better team. You can play mm-hmm. that game in Portland or D.C. It doesn't matter. The same things are going to happen. If Portland can play, I think this is a game where we might need to slow it down a bit too. I think this is more of a grinded out game. I agree. You with don't that. want you don't want to run up tempo with these Wizards, especially on the road, especially at a early start and on the tail end of a three game road trip. And John Wall is just so speedy. But if we slow the pace down, what I want to see is our power forwards attacking Jared Dudley because he starts at power forward. We have to abuse the Wizards for making that having him at that position Vonley Myers abuse that small guy he's 6'7 he shouldn't be guarding you don't fade away go straight up and bully him all game and while that's what I really want to see while I would love to see Vonley get touches let alone post touches I don't see it happening. Not, it's such a glaring mismatch, though. It is. Where I see them taking advantage of it is a guy like Ed Davis or even Von Lake coming in and just beating him up on the boards. So Portland misses shots. If they can win the second chance points battle. Bunch of offensive rebounds. Just kill him on the glass because you can't have Gortats out and Nene's on a minutes restriction and you've got a guy like Jared Dudley starting a power forward. And it's Drew Gooden. You know he doesn't really care about getting rebounds. So all of these games are winnable. I just have a gut feeling. I feel like Portland is going to drop this one. There's no shame. It's a very early start. It's the last game of a road trip. If you can come out of this four-game stretch, three and one, you take it and run with it, and then you go and you protect your home court as you try to chase the Utah Jazz. So I've got them taking a loss, but overall three and one. What do you say, Sage? I'm going four now. I hope that these are four easy games that Damien and CJ get to rest. And I, I think it has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've talked on this podcast about them losing games and them not looking like a playoff team. If they can go and handle the business, then you can start to say, okay, now you're starting to look and, you know, starting to look and play like a playoff team. The last thing you want to do is back into the playoffs against the Warriors or the Spurs. You want to at least go in with some confidence and showing, hey, we won the amount of games that we were supposed to. We didn't back in. It wasn't because anybody else was terrible. It was we went and took it. It starts right now. It starts this week. Third time has to be the charm. It's really not going to get much better than this next stretch of 11 games. So before we wrap up this podcast, Sage, there's 11 games coming up. 
as we mentioned, only the Hawks are above 500. You've got Portland down four games to the Utah Jazz in the loss column. How many of these games do they have to get before the schedule kind of tightens up that you could say they have a realistic shot? And by realistic, I mean like 75% chance at the playoffs. So what record would you like to see them get over this over these next 11 games? I don't know who they're playing exactly, but if it's an easy schedule... So I'll, I'll, I'll run them down to you. Okay, cool. So obviously the four we talked about, mm-hmm. you've got the Hawks, the Lakers, like the, the Kings, the Hornets... The Timberwolves, the Bucks, and the Raptors, all at home, no back-to-backs, and then some days you've got three days off in between. So it's very, you know, not heavy on game after game after game. They're getting rest. They're staying at home. Teams, oh, excuse me, the Raptors are above 500. So there's two teams that are above 500. Well, Damari Carroll's out, so that makes life a lot easier on our team. And I don't think the Raptors have won in Portland in some time. It's just one of those weird things where they can't play well. Or they do play well here, but they just can't get victories here. So it's just one of those things. I would like to see an 8-3 and three record. I think it has to be 8-3 and three at the minimum as well. Yes! I would, yeah. Glad you agree. <laughs> of a big victory against the Thunder. They're looking to take their momentum into these this week of, of four games. Uh, hope they can go 4-0. I've got 3-1. You've got 4-0 for, I believe, the first time you've predicted an undefeated week. So you know, I was the grumpy Gus of this podcast, my friend. You know, I, I think that's the role that we need for me to be in because you're way too nice of a guy to be a grumpy Gus. It's true. So, so yeah, again, thank you to all of our listeners for checking us out. You can find us on Stitcher and on SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. Email us at Holy Backboard PDX at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter at Holy Backboard. So until next time, hopefully we're talking to you after a 4 0 Blazers week. Let's go, Blazers. Let's go, Rip City. Let's go! <laughs>